No, no, I'm waiting for you to say something. You don't, you, you don't get to, you don't get to go that long in between podcast appearances, and then just like waltz in, waiting for Brady to start it. The Pete's, B team, Pete's, Pete's the B team. Exactly. Oh no, wait, no, sorry, that's See, what the listeners are used to hearing. You don't, uh, yeah, uh, you don't welcome. even know. You don't even know the podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. Where's the welcome back? <laughs> welcome back, kids. Hello, uh, and welcome. Welcome to the Movie Man Podcast. I don't even know where we are. No, we we are. And then here you say, finally. "My name's Pete." I'm Pete. What's your name? <laughs> oh and then you and then you come up with some half-assed descriptor for me that you never think about in advance, even though you do it every time. So sometimes it hits, and sometimes it doesn't. The voice that you're familiar with more than mine is Brady. <laughs> what is, I feel like you're getting salty. What is happening? I'm not. Right now? I'm not. No, 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 no. I miss you, dude. Like, it's been a hot minute. I miss you. I miss our back and forth banter. I miss Ugh. the way that you laugh unreasonably at half the things <laughs> I say. I thought you were going to say I miss the way you cry. You, you know how like fathers. Who, mm. who like to tell dad <laughs> jokes or think they're funny, sure. love children because children are like comedy blank slates. Right. That's kind yeah. of the relationship I have with you sometimes. Oh, really? Is that not that not that you're like a comedy blank slate? No, no, no. But no, just no. that, like, I feel like either you're really good at faking it and are constantly blowing smoke up my ass. <laughs> or you and you just like intrinsically find me relatively funny, and so I don't really have to try as hard, and it's nice. It comes across more natural and organic. Yeah, it's it, just like the pyramids. My this will remain a mystery, and it'll be one of those great unknowns. See, it's very different um, with Carl. I have to make like fart jokes or something <laughs> before he'll start laughing. <laughs> It's much more work. <laughs> and then it's stressful for me because in order to get Carl to laugh, are you okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. In order Just. to get Carl to laugh, I have to like walk the line of like <laughs> podcast appropriate and not podcast appropriate. So, yeah. I love, I feel like this podcast is based on two things. One is making me uncomfortable and two <laughs> is ripping on Carl Eastman. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so hello the, and well, welcome to Misery. Not only a descriptor of the main character's position in the film, not only the name of the character's titular character in his book series. Um, but also, I feel like Pete's experience while sitting <laughs> and watching this film. Correct me when I when I go off off path here. Am I I'm tracking so far? You know, let, let's get into the initial impressions. You may be surprised. You might not be wrong, but you might not be surprised. Let's, uh, let's, are you let's, wanting, are you wanting first to cover the, sometimes you want to talk about the films that this film kicked the ass of. In the I'm, <laughs> I'm happy that you did that. Cause it's Zach. That's exactly what I want to do. Okay. Um, there, you, you made a comment about like, Hey, I don't think you were comfortable watching misery. 
And when I looked at the voting options, none of the options, I don't think, were going to be a sit down and, you know, relax and have a nice evening kind They're of They're not popcorn because, flicks. They're not like summer blockbuster Well, I mean, films. I think Dances with Wolves, from my understanding, was maybe less uncomfortable, but I think it's very serious. It was, I think, Oscar Beatty at the time. Um not scary, I guess. But you're but. just going to watch Dancing with Wolves and go, I'd rather be watching Avatar. <laughs> right? Even Isn't remotely. it the same story? Isn't that the comparison everyone draws? Probably. Right? I everyone's mean, Avatar, like, Avatar Everyone's like, Avatar been... is just a Pocahontas ripoff. And then it, yeah. all the other people are like, well, it's actually more like Dancing with Wolves. And it's like, okay, uh-huh. calm down there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I will throw spit on uh, or throw shade on avatar but i can't comment because i haven't seen dances with wolves but right okay uh but that was in the very last position uh next to it i'm just gonna turn down my mic to save you uh some grief later uh the next penultimate from the bottom was arachnophobia which i hate spiders so i was not excited about but you did describe it to me, and it actually sounds somewhat intriguing because it you sounds like the spiders aren't the focal point. I, too, like, if there's a spider squisher or spider freer in our house and, and a spider outdoor relocator in our house, mm-hmm. it is not me. Oh, absolutely. It is, no, not. it is not me. I will get Brienne out of bed to come <laughs> and deal with a spider. Does she mind? Uh, greatly. Yeah, pisses no, her no, off no, to like, no avail. No, 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 but like, like, is she terrified of them or will she be like no, shoulder I mean, shoulders I, and be like, I got this? No, I mean, I think only the clinically disturbed actually enjoy spiders, but she, <sighs> it, it, you know, she, she doesn't, I don't think she has a phobia. Right. And I wouldn't say that I necessarily have, like, I no. don't get cold sweats or- no. No, start no, no. hyperventilating but maybe you should but it's you know i don't know i just because i'm not a spider relocator oh not a chance i'm Even a spider kid i just kill him who's got the time right i just kill him and for yep. me it's genuine it genuinely comes down to the sensation of the squish i'm not that's not my motivation. My motivation is if you get it, there's 10 more to take its place. Right. No, but I mean, I mean, that's the reason I won't do it. That's oh. the reason I won't, because it's like, you know, you use a Kleenex or you use whatever. And sometimes you can feel it pop underneath the Kleenex or whatever. Like, no, I, I if, once, if I have to kill one, yeah, I'm using, I have like half the roll of toilet paper wrapped around my hand. It is Ooh. hyper wasteful every time I, I have to deal with a spider. Can I tell you about the biggest spider I ever killed in my life? I wish you would. <laughs> I was at in a hotel in Paris, France, of all places. I'm sorry. Isn't there isn't there like a pick up the phone and press zero for that type of thing? <laughs> there should be. And I was laying on. I just laid on the bed. Just got in the room, and I was like, huh. What is that small mouse on the ceiling? Oh my god. What? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what the hell? And so I just didn't really know what to do because Were you alone? I, I was with my wife, but I was like, oh. do I call 
honestly the front desk to have someone come help me and struggle through speaking in English and them not understanding what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't even know French for spider. Yeah, just, I don't know. So I I got a chair and grabbed my shoe and like mm. lifted my shoe to the ceiling to squish it. And I, the, I'll wrap the story up with the old, like, it wasn't a squish. It was that like a crunch happened. And uh, like, it was one of those. One of, one of the legs fell off and like literally bounced off the bed and then hit the floor. Oh gosh. Like, like this was uh, a, like a mini tarantula you were doing. <laughs> like not well, I mean, reality speaking, if you had a measuring stick out, it probably wasn't that big. But it was big. So like does what is your wife's stance on spiders? She's of the same, you know, kill them, move on, but 9 times out of 10, I'm usually the one who deals with them. Oh, yeah, no, I don't even deal with them if, if I, I can help it. I'm considering having you and your partner move in with us. Yeah. Just so that your partner can deal with is them in all. our house. Yeah. 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 I, I would, I'd be like, hey, can you do this, Brian? Like, come on. Yeah. And she's constantly frustrated by it. But hey, it's, you know, got to do what you got to do. Your, know, your, know your strengths. Right? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. yeah. Um, so, yeah, the next film, then third, or I guess second place was Goodfellas. Yeah. And I, I, I put it on the list just because it's famous. Um, I I think, from my understanding, and I'm not going out on a limb here, it would be one of those films that is probably uncomfortable in the same way, just because, you know, I'm assuming it's mob-related, so there's going to be some killing. It's a Martin Scorsese film. There's going to be a lot of violence. You know, Joe Pesci's doing his thing. Yeah. Um, but I... I I was intrigued enough to to watch it and review it if that's where the 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 audience had pointed us, but it wasn't. We we went in the path of Stephen King with some misery by a long shot. Not even close. It was like popular vote, Patreon vote, night and day. I'm also boycotting Martin Scorsese right now, so I'm kind of glad it didn't win. Why? Oh, he's just back to his. He's doubling down on his whole like. Uh, yeah, so comic book films aren't cinema, and uh, we need to, us actual filmmakers need to get back to our grassroots and and really <laughs> win this battle because they're going to destroy our film culture. And Oh, shut up. Just shut up. Is that true? Like, it, that's exactly what, like, basically what he said? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, wor- he's worried that the next generation of film goers will not realize that there are films other than comic book films. He believes that the way that the comic book film movies are, there's going to be a whole generation of people that think that that's just, that's all movies are. That's just all there is. It's like, shut up, shut up. You know, you're, you're 104. You, <laughs> you're, you should be grateful to still be making movies. So just shut up and make your movies and don't worry about what movies anyone else is making, because right now you're just coming across as whiny, and you also sound like you're just bitter over what the box office share that they're taking away from your films. Well, then make better films. Like, I I don't know what to tell you. There's a, there's a lot to break down there. Yeah. And well, so, yeah. first of all is, there it does give off impressions of old man yelling at the clouds. I will not lie. Yeah. I... I do also wonder, you know, why why are you getting so upset about this? Because you are 
incredibly accomplished, both financially and your, what your films have done. Yeah. Scorsese, that is. And academically, like from Oscar winning and nomination perspective. So I, I don't know. I, I'm getting super armchair psychologist here, but it's like, what insecurities do you have that like it's apparently that problematic to you? Yeah. I I will say, I, I listen. If I was to jump on the fence, like I'm not gonna, I'm not as a big of an MCU fan as you are. So like, it's no skin off my nose. He says this, and I'm not offended. I'm I, I just shrug my shoulders and go, I don't really care either way. But I I would say, you know, it MCU films aren't the only films that even if that's true of what he's saying are doing this no there are so many other films that are just trash and garbage that you know there will always be more artistic films out there mainstream films are usually different and it's not just mcu films and mcu films just have a like anyway it's a long way it's a it's a big discussion I, I, I guess I would sit, sit on the fence a bit more. I see maybe yeah. where he's coming from, but I also oh, see like, hey, why are you getting so upset about it? And I don't have a problem with him feeling that way. I just have, yeah. a, I just like, shut up. Just shut up. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're making an ass of yourself right now. And to be such a big name in Hollywood like Martin Scorsese, and then to say comic book films aren't cinema and to treat them as the cancer of cinema is a massive slap in the face to the tens of thousands of artists who work on those films. I so feel it's just, like it's, just it's a dick move. It's just like, shut up and make your movies and don't worry about what other people are doing. And I'll say it again. I'm not here. I don't really care about the MCU, so I would not defend it, but I, I agree that it's like, what do you, take the high road? Like if you yeah. feel like that you're that superior or that you want to be differentiated, like no one is comparing the MCU to your films, like just by their nature. They're all about killing people and like violent, gruesome things. And they're just, yeah. you know, like it's apples and oranges. So it's like, yeah. we're not comparing you. We're not saying one's better. Than, like I just, it, it, it seems very random. Yeah. And it's not even like it for me, honestly, like if, if Robert Downey Jr. came out tomorrow and was like, oh, comic book films are the only good films and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I would have the same. I would, Robert, sit down. You're making an ass of yourself. Just shut up. <laughs> right. What are you doing? Shut up. Yeah. No, it's just in general. It's just, it's yeah. like a in an industry that doesn't need to be divisive and right. hostile. It, it's yeah. just like, there's no room for it. So it's like, anyways, why? yeah. So misery one. <laughs> anyway, back to the task at hand. Yeah. Uh, let's do some initial impressions because I'm curious if uh, you'll be surprised what I say. All right. Uh, not the first time I've seen this movie. Second time. <laughs> yeah. Please tell me about the first, first time, time you saw this. And I, so I was talking to my mother about this the other day. This is this is going to be slightly longer than first impressions are supposed to be. But yeah, that's fine. Um, I was talking to my mother about this the other day. So the first time I saw this movie, I was <coughs> somewhere between eight and eleven years old. That's um, okay. Maybe, maybe not the target audience. Maybe a little maybe. younger. Yeah, but wow. definitely not older than eleven. Um. I would say probably could have been seven, but it's probably like seven, eight, nine in around there. Wow. And okay. my grand my my grandmother right. showed it to me. Uh, now, I was just gonna say, I don't think that's on the Disney Channel. Now she also showed me several she was the one that showed me Arachnophobia. Good um, there's 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 a couple of films I watched at Grandma's house I wasn't supposed to watch. And I was asking my mom this the other day, because when my grandmother passed away, 
Um, mm. th- she passed away January of 2020 because it was mm. just before COVID. She was in a nursing home. And mm. as sad as it was that she passed away, she was in her mid-90s. Like, she lived, a, she was old. Um, but it was such a relief that, the, the reason I remember the date is because it was such a relief that she wasn't alive in a nursing home during the time of COVID. That, like, mm. she just missed it. Um, yeah. And she, like, the reason she ended up in a nursing home, like, up until her mid to late 80s, she still lived in a house by herself. My grandfather passed away, like, 15 years ago. Um, oh, maybe a little bit more, like 17 years ago now. Um, So she was still living on her own. Um, But then she started to get Alzheimer's um, Mm. and, and wasn't, wasn't really with it anymore. Um, But that only happened in the last 10 or so years. And so when I, so then I asked, I asked mom, I was like, why, like, what What were the circumstances around her showing me the movies that she showed me? Because she was still completely with it back then. Like, she, she didn't have right. dementia. Like, yeah. it wasn't, you know, like, what the hell was she thinking? Um, and my mom said that she believes that my grandmother just, like, even from a very young age believed that I was mature enough hmm. to discern between what was real and what wasn't. Mm. Um, and that, you know, it, it, another example was I was never allowed to have toy guns growing up, right? Mm. We had like a super unrealistic yeah. looking water gun. Well, that was about it. Yep. No, no toy guns. Every time I would go to my grandmother's house for a sleepover, the first thing we would do is walk down to Stedman's, a little, like an old, for people who don't know, Stedman's was like a variety store type thing. Um, hmm. And she'd buy me a cap gun. Every <laughs> single, and then the end of the week, the sleepover would end, and my mother would take the cap gun away, and she would give my grandmother all kinds of shit for it. Like every <laughs> single time. Um, but yeah, so I, I first watched this movie when I was like eight, and... Funnily enough, I was talking to a cousin of mine. Um, so that's that's my grandmother on my mom's side. I was talking sure. to a cousin of mine from my dad's side, and she was saying that the first time she watched Misery was when she was like eight. <laughs> because her mother is a massive Stephen King fan. Mm. You know, she saw Green Mile super young, and she saw all these, like she hmm. was raised on, and I was like, oh, okay, well... I guess it, 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 yeah, at least it wasn't just me. Um, <laughs> and so, so anyways, I, it's a movie that I didn't remember very much of. I remembered, I remembered Kathy Bates getting her head bashed in with the typewriter. And I remembered him which, lying at the bottom of the stairs. It's a side note. Like, how does she stand up after that? Uh, she's, yeah. Kathy Bates, she's the unsinkable Molly Brown. I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but I, um, 
Yes, and then I remembered him lying at the bottom of the stairs. It was kind of all I remembered. However, sure. for a movie and, that and I... It's surprising that he actually gets a happy ending, I will say. Yes. I was shocked at that. For a movie that I remember very, very little of, it was a movie that I was very aware of and knew held significance in my life because... Mm. It was such a hot topic when I was a child. My grandmother showed it to me when I was real young. Right. Um, so I was excited to watch it again. And it's it's got some tackiness because of the the time that it's set in. And there's some really great tension. There's a lot of really great moments and some things that I'm excited to confer with you on and potentially debate with you. Ultimately, I think I was hoping that the film, and maybe this isn't just a criticism of the film because I haven't read the book, so maybe it's an issue with the book. I don't know. I think ultimately I was looking for the movie to have something to say Mm. i think i was like this could be i i think i think the movie's good but i think had it left me pondering something or thinking deeply or you know like had it had some sort of real existential question that it was asking then I think it would have bumped it from good up to excellent. Hmm. So that's my initial impression. What is yours? My assumption is that you did not like this film. It's so much so, and it's not just my assumption. Partway through watching this film, we paused it. We had to, you know, do whatever. And Brienne turned and looked at me and she said, do you think that people are now just starting to unintentionally (laughs) vote for whatever film they think Pete will hate the most. And I said, I don't know, but God, I hope so. Because (laughs) what a funny thing to like, just to have the audience completely turn on you in terms of (laughs) what they want you to watch, but also because it would mean that they, they think that that's a, an enjoyable dynamic is, is your discomfort. I mean, I'm connecting the dots here. We got Drop Dead Fred. Drop Dead Fred. Rocketeer and Misery. Yeah. See, but I think Rocketeer was just as big a surprise to everyone that you didn't like yeah. that. Rocketeer yeah, could have gone true. either way. Yeah. that's. But true. yeah. So what do you think of Misery? Okay. I've got a bit of a longer initial impression that's too. Okay. Mine was. Yep. But yours was legitimately like there were some familial ties and nostalgic yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, so yours is just long-winded for no reason. Is yeah, that what you're saying? Okay, all right. right. Hit me with it. So here's the thing. Literally, like it's so coincidental. The day before I watched Misery, I was follow- like I was scrolling Twitter, and this film account that was recommended to me it periodically will send gifs of films and be like okay what's everyone's favorite movie but set on a tropical island all start and then it'll be the gif of a movie and it's like oh yeah castaway yeah 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 great here we go whatever the theme it'll be different gifs of movies and i saw this gif that i didn't quite recognize and i was trying to piece together and i was i was going is this 
from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Is this is this from like when they're the the grandpa's in the bed of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and they're like trying to wake him up and get him out and they hit him with like a frying pan or something? And so what what it was entitled was like, what movie scene will stay with you for the rest of your life and like potentially scar you? And I thought it was this scene from Willy Wonka and the Charlie Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It was Close actually, enough. it was actually after I watched the movie, I went, oh, that's it. It was the Kathy Bates moment where he friggin breaks his ankles. And I was uh, like, when, a, uh, when she gives a, him a yeah, hobbling, that, a, that is messed up. B, I can't believe I confused that scene for anything from Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. Now, is that not a medical term? I mean, we've, we've divulged that you guys work, that you work in the, mm. um, in the medical industry. Do you, mm. you never hobble patients? Not even once. No, not like no. you're like. Oh, we don't think the bed restraints are gonna. <laughs> oh, that's not even. Funny. No, okay. I just, well, no. I just, I don't know. I don't. You know, I haven't studied. I didn't do well in science. I don't know how how any of it works. <laughs> no. Right, Brienne's a nurse, and I would ask her, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, she's worried about. You know, she's worried <laughs> okay. I'm gonna rat her out. <laughs> what I'll say with this film is, you are right. I did not enjoy it. But I actually, it's not that it was uncomfortable that I didn't like it. I just think it's not that good. I think it suffers from maybe a pacing or or, uh, uh, an execution perspective. Uh, There are a lot of films that take place in one room that can be quite intriguing and quite exciting. Yeah. we, I, I remember um, 3,000 Years of Longing quite recently. I watched it with Idris Elba. It's a bit different. There are scenes that take place outside of a hotel room, but I would say like 70% of the film is in a hotel room. And there's a lot of, you know, storytelling and whatnot that's a bit different here. Yeah. But this movie is no different. There's other scenes that take place outside of this room. Well, I got I you to watch. Do you remember I got you to watch the film The Sunset Limited? With Samuel Jackson and Tommy Lee Jones. That's another yeah. good example of one. Yeah. What literally and that one I want to say room. would be more in line with like, it truly is just in one room. It's just one room. Yeah. And I think what I found with Misery was I just felt trapped. And I don't know if it was necessarily on purpose. I just felt trapped and it felt a little long and prolonged to me. And I okay. felt just it, it was a bit long at times. So I, I will say it, the movie started a lot brighter than I thought. Like I thought it was going to be dark and dreary for the whole time. But, you know, we start with her being a great fan and he's riding in the mountains with some upbeat music and. I don't know what he's doing with this Mustang in that kind of climate. He probably deserves to be in an accident. Um, but <laughs> I know, right? It's like... What are you doing? Uh, like, I don't own a classic car, but you bet, no. your, you bet your ass if I ever did. I'm not driving in the mountains in a blizzard. In, in, in Canadian terrain, oh, that yeah. puppy's like a May until October ride. And then yeah. she's going away on blocks with a battery conditioner and a, like surveillance system <laughs> i'm not that shit's not going out in yeah. minus 20 yeah no um but yeah there was always this uneasy feeling when you know i'm your number one fan and i think maybe in pulp culture i just maybe wasn't aware but i was you know had some underlying knowledge of references of this film 
And, you know, I was intrigued and curious to start, believe it or not, my anticipation was high. And then it just kind of went down further and further. I I will say I was surprised. I thought that her finding out the character was killed was going to be more at the climax of the film. That maybe she just got creepier and creepier, but the him killing off her favorite character was going to be the tipping point. And that happened quite early. I will say I was a little surprised by that. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know what, it has some interesting elements, this film, but, you know, being a horror film or whatever you'd classify this thriller. Um, and I was surprised we got a quote unquote satisfying end, even though he's clearly emotionally scarred as anyone would be, Uh, but I was surprised it ended in the way that it did. Um, and I did have some LOL moments, like when he's flipping her the bird, like I literally laughed out loud. Um, and I really enjoyed this sheriff. I was truly, I'm, I'm not joking. I was truly sad when he died. I really loved his old vibe that he gave the whole film. Um, but yeah, I would say just overall it was, it was a little bit underwhelming and, um, yeah, I, I think I just had maybe higher hopes for what, what was going to happen. Okay. Okay. So, I uh, I mean, it's yeah. So, still not a positive first impression. No, but not necessarily for the reason I, I guess I would have imagined. Exactly. Sorry. Thanks for kind of summarizing what I said because I kind of referenced that, but I didn't actually round it home. Yeah, I not a good, um, not a good review, but um, not for the reasons that you thought. I two things that we need to get to are just Stephen King films. And the director, Rob Reiner. Those are two themes that we have to touch on. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially especially because Rob Reiner directed it. Exactly. I mean, we, would, we, we could have talked about him either way, but now <laughs> it feels a little less, you know, <laughs> arbitrary. Arbitrary. Yeah. So let's just start with them right now. Okay. I had no idea this man directed films okay he was just for me several good films films so a couple i've made you watch a couple you have made me watch some that you haven't made me watch. have you made me watch uh didn't i make you watch the bucket list no uh no i don't think so oh I think I recommended it to you, but it was after the time right. when you're, you're like, well, I don't have to actually do that <laughs> I don't anymore. have to do anything you say. Uh, but Princess Bride. I'm surprised that you're saying that because I think you I thought you were lukewarm on that film. I don't like it. I think, well, okay. It, okay it's not that I don't like it. It's just, I think it's overrated. Sure. But I can, I recognize that it's iconic. I think that it's kind of like Paddington 2. Is it the best film of all time? No. I think it might be, but... (laughs) Shut your mouth. But the thing with Princess Bride is that it's accessible to so many people. People who like romance, people who like fantasy, people who just want something like... You know, it's not like, hey, we're watching the time... Oh, that's not a bad, that's not a good example, but we're watching, you know, Inception. You say the time traveler's wife? Yeah, and it's like, that's a bad example. <laughs> what? But like, hey, we're watching Inception tonight, and it's like, okay, some people are going to like that if they like action or thriller, but right. you know, the rom-com crowd is going to be like, hey, I'm not, I'm not here for that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so for directing, 
Uh, I didn't realize. So one of the earlier things that he's made that is uh, a friend of mine, like made, he purchased this for me, a rental and emailed it to me to watch. He, so Rob Reiner directed, this is Spinal Tap. Oh, uh, really? A, I thought you were going to, okay, he did. And I thought you were going to graze past that because not a mm, lot of like, it just doesn't seem like it's up, down up your alley at all. It's a very niche, very out there comedy. It's very, but uh, everybody knows it. For whatever reason. Until a few years ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize he directed Stand By Me. Stand By Me. With River Phoenix and Will Wheaton. And oh, my gosh. Sutherland. That, I, that falls in the same camp as Princess Bride. It's not the best movie of all time, but a lot of people oh, are iconic. well familiar with it. Iconic. Princess Bride, you already mentioned. No clue he did When Harry Meets Sally. Met Sally, yeah. Met Sally, yeah. yeah. Billy Crystal, uh, Carrie Fisher, Meg freaking Ryan. Big, big, big crew. Uh, Misery, obviously this. Uh, a few good a men. A few good men. Right? Yeah. And then that those are the big studs for me. There's other things, like you said, the well-known stuff like um, Bucket List and things like that. But like that is, that is not nothing. And I think, so it's not just that that list is impressive and i wasn't aware of it i just had always pegged this rob reiner is a guy who you know had a very brief moment in this is spinal tap uh a smaller role in sleep like acting roles now i'm talking uh, an acting role in sleepless in seattle an acting role in first wife clubs um he's the father in wolf of wall street like nothing big you know he's not playing hamlet in a a supporting supporting roles and ironically enough, he, he places someone, a no clue who, he plays someone in The Jerk. Oh. Yeah. So I, I think I just. Movie. <laughs> I think what blows me away is this guy who I had always pictured is a guy who, you know, made his bread and butter in Hollywood, but was not a big actor. I realized had this whole other half to his career where he was just hitting blockbuster, blockbuster, blockbuster. And I, I that's impressive to me. And it was eye opening. Mm-hmm. Truck driver picking up Navin in the jerk. All right. <laughs> there you go. Well, he's in an episode we got, of we Frasier. Have to review that. We have to review someday. We have to do a face off between the jerk and lost in translation. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we can do that. Oh, he played himself in the Hannah Montana movie no way or tv series i guess it was the tv series yeah go. okay cool mm-hmm. yeah um we do have to go over the cast as well okay i agreed yeah do you want me to take the reins on that or you want to do that sure you go you go right ahead all right here ain't there let me here just pull eight. up the uh the official list so i'm not skipping over Anyone. It's something I would normally do prior to the show, but, you know, <laughs> carpe diem. Uh, so, obviously, we have James Can plays Paul Sheldon, the writer. For for me, literally, the, the only other th- project I recognize him from is the father f- being the father and elf. Yeah. And, and I, obviously, there's quite an age difference there, so he's... He looks much older in Elf. Um, mm-hmm. He have you not seen Get Smart with um, the Get Smart remake with uh, Anne Hathaway I have. and Steve Carell? I, I, I don't remember this guy in him, but okay. apparently he's there. Apparently okay. he was there. Um, he 
he did a voice in the Godfather video game. No, 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 no. I was in Godfather Part Two, but we still haven't. Oh, and Godfather Part One. He plays Sonny Corleone. He plays one of the Corleone guys. That means probably important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So he's, and I think he's excellent in this role. Oh yeah, he's really good. Uh, I will say. He, I don't know if those are his real feet in in this film, but like when he first showed up at Kathy Bates' house, Rough. Her, his feet and legs, like I don't know if that's just getting better on its own. I'm gonna, just putting it out there. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and we'll get into his injuries in a bit here, but... Um, oh, do we have to? Kathy Bates. Yeah. Yeah. A young Kathy Bates. Younger. I mean, we've seen... She's... It's not. It's only seven years later she's in Titanic. I think this is the second Kathy Bates movie I've made you watch, right? Yes, because I the made you. F- I made Schmidt. you. Yeah, I made you watch her get naked in a hot tub in about <laughs> Schmidt. You certainly did. You're welcome. And um, <laughs> the other really big one that I uh, that I want to touch on is Richard Farnsworth. Who plays Buster, I the sheriff? Loved, I loved him in this role. Loved him. This was heartbreaking for me because Richard Farnsworth plays Matthew Cuthbert in the Anne of Green Gables. He's the quiet, old, soft-spoken, oh. adopted father of no Anne way. Shirley in the '85 one that we've been watching a lot of. And no way. And so seeing him in this it did two things. Mm-hmm. One is it 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 cemented him in my brain as an actor, whereas I would rather have just thought of him as Matthew Cuthbert. Oh, that's because I'd never yeah. seen him in anything else. Mm-hmm. Right? And to me, he was just Matthew Cuthbert. And so seeing him as an actor was a little was a little sad. Yeah. Seeing him get his chest blown out. Like literally Like literally graphically murdered. Yep. Um that was tough. That was tough. It was. But uh but I endured. And he's great. He's absolutely great. And and he he carries the same charm in this that he does in Anne of Green Gables. Where he's just mm. this like sweet old man that yep. you want to, you know, sit and listen to tell stories and stuff. Like he's just <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um and then I'm not super familiar with Francis Sternhagen, who played his wife, uh, but right. their dynamic, oh yeah, was fire. Yeah, was absolute fire. Yeah, she just like the old nagging wife, who <laughs> he has come to just start to, you know, he chooses his battles. He lets he lets a lot mm-hmm. of things go in one ear and out the other because that's how he maintains his sanity. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, are there any other cast members that stick out to you? Not that she was familiar, but I thought she did well. Was the actor who played the agent, Lauren Bacall. Yep. Uh, I, I thought she really did well. It was a very minor role, but it was very well done. Yeah. I'm looking through. I don't recognize her from many other things. If anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of it. Like there's, you know, there's like, there's the waitress at the restaurant and there's the uh, right. guy sitting in the booth eating his pancakes and then there's but like 
It's very, a small cast. Yeah, very small cast, actually. Very small. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so something, speaking of his injuries, something I wanted to simply just ask you about. Oh, dear gosh. Um, obviously, she hobbles him. Ugh. And it's aggressive. I... Had to be it's done. Gross. It's disgusting. Had to be done. Um, <laughs> didn't. Now, this is kind of left up for interpretation. But I think it makes the most sense. His initial broken legs, when he, he wakes up and he's in her bed, she did that, right? I don't think that that's, I don't think he broke both of his legs that severely in that car accident. I could be wrong, but my impression is she found him unconscious, brought him back, drugged him, and broke both of his legs to, to bedridden him. Hard to say. Wouldn't be the most unheard of thing. I I also I was just surprised that in the film, like I thought there was going to be some revelation that like she had been stalking him and like cut his brake lines or something. Uh, maybe that, yeah. just because it's so coincidental that like okay his car broke down and she found him. You know, it just for how obsessive she was, I wouldn't have been surprised if there had been something in line there. But yeah, I it definitely what you're referring to is not in the film. Or at least that's not what I interpreted, but it wouldn't be surprising. Yeah. 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 I I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah. So what were some of the things that did work for you? Honestly, probably the acting. Honestly, that is the... It's a small cast, and until we're kind of pointing it out now, I didn't really actually put a number on it, but it's very small. And, you know, I think James Can and Kathy Bates, you know... They both play well individually. They both play well off each other. I I don't know. I don't know what it was. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm straying into the things that don't go well. Let's just stick with what went well. The acting went well for me. Okay. What about you? What stood out for you? You're not going to elaborate? Just the acting? No, just the acting. Honestly. Yep. Um... I think there was some really... I think it did a good job of creating some really tense moments. Like, obviously, him... You know, he's the first time he gets out of the bedroom and he's kind of exploring the house and he hears her pull back into the driveway. Mm-hmm. That kind of race back to the bedroom and not knowing what's going to happen. I think that's cool. Um, I, and it... I th- I think I'm I just this is coming up so it makes sense for me to bring it up here. I think what I found struggling where I found like it was just very stasis and not moving was it was just this very weird combination of he has mobility and he can do some things but he's still confined to a wheelchair still kind of timid and afraid to run back to his room when she comes home. I'm thinking of other movies like, say, The Shining or The Mist, other Stephen King films where, you know, there's greater 
parameters and limitations on what people can and can't do, like the mysterious, the supernatural, all these things kind of have, you know, clear limitations on, okay, this is the, the fear that you're living in. This is why you can't do something as with her. Like, I think, I think it just kind of got to a point where I I finally went like, when he threw the typewriter on her head at the end, I'm like, you should have done this a few hours ago. I mean, you know, you don't have to kill her by any means, but like, it's clear she's stringing yawn even before she starts doing some weird bat shit, crazy stuff. Yeah. I think he got a jumper. Like when she comes in the door, hide behind it and like kick it in her face, like take her down, tie her up and then get out of Dodge and then, you know, have the police come get her. I think that's, I, mean, I, I think that's it. I think that, I think, I think you have to be careful though, right? Like he had to make sure that the moment was just right because you kind of only get one shot. Yeah. And if, and, and he doesn't really have use of his legs. Mm-hmm. So he's very limited in what he can do. And if he doesn't nail this, then you're screwed. He's in big trouble. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some tense moments like that. Um, I really love the moment of like the emotional, for the viewer, for me at least, the emotional like, okay, here we go, we got this, and then the oh shit, when he successfully drugs her wine and then she spills it. Uh, that's a great moment because it's you you feel that moment like mm-hmm. you're invested. You really do in this film. You can really you really do feel the the motions that Paul Sheldon is going through. <laughs> His fears become your fears. You're not completely, at least for me, I wasn't completely detached from it going, ah, oh, you know, well, he's going to make it out. I didn't know how this was going to end. And so the whole time, moments where it was supposed to be, what's going to happen? I was sitting there going, I don't know. <laughs> like... Yeah. yeah. So for me, those moments were really great. I did really love one line at the end. Um, you know, I, I'm a, sorry, a, just before you go on, I, yep. I will say, I will give you, I will acknowledge you that for me, the intensity wasn't there. The tenseness wasn't there for me. It didn't really work, but I will say that one scene at the dinner table with the wine. Yeah. That, that got me hooked oh. to where it was going. Okay. This, you know, I'm feeling the stakes. I'm really empathizing with him. And when it spills, you, you, you just, take this you you gasp and go oh well and then because you start questioning everything right like did she know and she spilt it on purpose and well, like the question so mu- oh yeah so much um i liked the b story of her past as a nurse and those news clippings and stuff like that Oof. i think i would have liked that to have been explored a little more mm-hmm because we don't quite get enough details about, you know, we just know that she's creepy and she's done stuff like this before. Mm-hmm. But I'd kind of like to know what and I and or or like and- some clever depth to that. Yeah, um, yeah. I did really love one line at the end. It's like a year later or whatever, where he's mostly mm. recovered. He'll probably walk with that cane for the rest of his life. Um, Gotta wonder. Yeah, amazing that he's down to just a cane. Um, but when he's, he's sitting in the restaurant or whatever, and he's meeting with his, his agent, his manager, 
and she's talking about like clearly he's written he's written a novelized version of the incident of being in the house with Annie Wilkes and kind of he he kind of suggests like this is just for me hmm. right like he wrote it out i think as part of his recovery process mm-hmm. um and and the manager is like marcia is making some suggestions or some edits or whatever and wants to sell it and you know the character that we could turn this into and the series and that you know like she's she's seeing it from a business perspective and paul says this really great line where he's like so what i'm hearing is you want to make money off of the most horrible experience i've ever had or something to that effect and mm-hmm. i thought that was i thought that was a great line and unfortunately, the closest the movie really came to having something profound to say, and it kind of came in one line right at the end, and that was and you it. Blink, and if you blink, you miss it, and if you yeah. watch it, you still don't get it. I, I think you're onto something there, just because I felt like there was something missing too. Because you know, I something I took note of early on when I was watching this film was. I was wondering if there'd be some theme with this old bag because he's holding it at the beginning and he, he claims that, you know, it's like an old friend and he's, you know, it was essentially his physical, you know, hanging onto his origins in his past. And then at the end of the film, he's able to move on from misery and he publishes this other book. And then his agent says, have you ever thought of monetizing and rehashing your past again? And, you know, writing this book about this traumatic event. And, you know, I think I'm just having trouble. Either I missed it and it's very subtle or it wasn't connected in a more profound way of just these, some of these underlying themes, like you said, having something more profound and kind of them kind of have threading the needle and working them all together. And it just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Exactly. Um, but I do like, again, too, in that, yeah, in that same conversation, he's talking about how in some ways she saved him. In the only way that she could be saved. <laughs> shut up. Uh, <laughs> shut up, jackass. But no, but do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he, 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 how that was an experience that <laughs> that has changed him for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that was interesting too. For all we know, for all we know, she did, you know, paint a picture of him wearing the heart of the ocean. Yeah. Wearing, (laughs) wearing his, his arm sling and only his arm sling. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But, uh, no, you know, there was like, and there's just like any Stephen King story. Mm-hmm. There are some fun things, some fun character elements written into it, mm-hmm. right? Fun things about how, you know, sort of the the idiosyncrasies of Paul Sheldon as a writer, right? His superstitions, that he always goes to this one place to write his book, and he always mm-hmm. drives the car, and he yeah. always only keeps one copy, and it's always in the, you know, like these were, and that he he quit smoking except for when he finishes a book, he has one cigarette. Like those mm-hmm. were, 
details that aren't necessary but are very welcomed because oh, yeah. they're great little character building they paint a picture and then you're able to mm-hmm. use those things like while well, he only keeps one copy and that's why she knew that that was his only copy when they go mm-hmm. to burn it right yeah he yep. he's able to request the cigarette and the champagne because he knows that she knows that that's his tradition mm-hmm. right so ultimately those things were able to work into it you know, ultimately, I don't of of the Stephen King adaptations I've seen. I don't think this one is the strongest in any regard, um, whether it be horror elements or acting or specifically character development. Like the example I always go to is the newer, like the Bill Skarsgård, it, hmm. and it chapter one specifically because I. I didn't care for chapter two so much. Um, I mm. need to rewatch it, but they need to go in and fix the CGI because CGI was garbage <laughs> for some reason. I like, like mind blowingly bad and I don't get it. Um, but the thing about it, chapter one is I didn't find it spe- like, I didn't really find it scary like at all, but the, the character study of those kids of the losers club, like it's just a fantastic two hours of of character building, um, and this one had some great character building in it, but I wasn't crazy about this. Even fourteen oh eight, which is considered to not be very good with John Cusack, mm. I think is more yeah. captivating, and I'd rather watch that because it has that. Like, have you seen it? I have, and that's actually another good example of a film that primarily takes place in one confined in one spot. room, and it's. Yeah. And but it's it's just really captivating because there is this what's going to happen next supernatural aspect mm-hmm. of the room. What's going to happen yep. next, and what even is happening right now? And for what I remember correctly, even throughout the film and at the end, you know, there's some things that make you question what is happening and what's not. Yeah. So I I would agree with that. You know, I've, I, if I'm comparing with other Stephen King films here, you know, I thought the mist was more captivating just mm. because the stakes were higher and you know the you you felt this tension growing and building and you know i th- i just felt like it had a better tempo um i feel the shining is probably the most profound or the best films i've seen of stephen king still haven't you know, seen with it. The shining yeah it's not even just that it's iconic like it just has some very uh well made you know it's got some good techniques that it uses um it makes you feel uncomfortable it's got some interesting themes it's got some interesting you know aspects to it so i think that's clearly the best and even kind of off the radar here but there's this film now uh it's it's not necessarily based off a book itself but it's all um stephen king universe um the dark tower no it's called castle rock and it was it it was based in a universe of Stephen King where a lot of different things were referenced. Oh, it's a TV series. It was a TV series. I I only watched the first season, but I found it really interesting. Oh, just recent too. Within the last five years or so. Yeah. And so just as an example, like there would be characters 
talking about you know someone's uncle who kind of went off the Holy deep end and what you realize they're referring to is oh they're referring to the shining in this or uh they're just there's different aspects that you realize that this is taking place in a stephen king universe where characters and stories of his all coexist they're not the main story they're just periphery stories and you realize that the same it's in the same universe but what it did like The Shining did and what The Mist did and what 1408 did was it, it really challenged you and it really went, took you on a roller coaster psychologically where um, there's this uh, youth that's literally kept in a, in, in a cage, like honestly kept in a jail cell. And it takes you on this roller coaster of, is this appropriate or not? You know, you go from, yeah, why are they keeping a child in this? This is horrific to, oh, maybe he should be in here. Like it, just different questions of like, is this child an embodiment of Satan? And as outlandish as it sounds, there's times where it's outlandish and there's times where you go, hmm, this is actually mighty peculiar. And it just takes you on a more of a roller coaster. And I feel like where misery was uncomfortable, I just wasn't as on much of a roller coaster and I wasn't as intrigued as some of these other Stephen King films and I thought they were better. Is in in Castle Rock. Yeah. So it's Bill Skarsgård's character, the kid that's being kept locked up, right? Correct. Correct. And is it Lizzie Kaplan's character? Is it a female that's keeping him locked up? No, it was a few different other characters, okay. I believe. It, I'm looking at the IMDb for this. Mm-hmm. And one of the main characters of this show, plays, played by Lizzie Kaplan, mm-hmm. Lizzie Kaplan in this show plays a character named Annie Wilkes. Oh! She plays the, the antagonist from Misery. Interesting. And it also looks like there's a young and Elsie Fisher that plays Joy Wilkes. So I guess they gave her a daughter in this. And see, show. that's where... And see, that's where when I watched Cast Rock a few years ago, I got some of the references. But now this is a new one that um, I, I think it was a cleverly done series for and me anyway. One, that it was just like. a fun nod to bring some of these characters to life, bring keep them in the periphery. But uh, yeah, interesting. man, that's so cool. I don't know what it is about like Stephen King, man, just the legacy, right? It is like. Movies like Firestarter, and again, these are obviously based off books, but mm-hmm. Firestarter, Carrie, um, obviously um, The Shining, mm-hmm. It, Misery, it's just like, it is just this unstoppable, <laughs> I don't even know how to, The Mist, right? Like it's, it, it's just incredible. It is incredible. How many? I know this number is ridiculous. How many books has Stephen King written? That's the first one that comes up. What's your guess? How many books? 47. Uh, over 65. There you go. Wow. That's nuts. Yeah. And I don't want to take anything away from him. It is a little weird. Like to a degree that like the volume of film or books that are like uncomfortable or bizarre, like it it, it is a little uncanny. Well, that's little, his, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but it's just it. That's just that's his style, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, 1408, yeah, Pet Cemetery, The Green Mile, The Boogeyman, Cujo, right, the, the one about the mile. dog. Yeah. The Outsider, Under the Dome, Salem's Lot, The Mist. It's just, man, yeah, I wish I was uh, Gerald's Game. I wish I wish I could read Stephen King books because <laughs> I just know that Stephen King is like, I think he's, I think it's a tough read. Like, I think mm. he writes... It, yeah, it's not beginner level reading, and not that I'm like a beginner reader. <laughs> no, 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 it's just too it's exhausting. Not, it's not too exhausting easy to reading. try to read that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's not cool. an easy read. All right, yeah. sir, so are you ready to rank this movie? I am. On a I scale am. of zero to ten, how would you rank Misery? I gave it a five. You know, I was hoping for a bit more, and I didn't get there with it. Not for maybe the reasons you expected, just for reasons that there are better Stephen King films out there that are either more intriguing, more interesting, or that keep you on the roller coaster, or have some like fundamental, like, this is what you learn from this, or this is what challenges you. And some of these things were just missing in this, so it wasn't bad. Don't think I ever need to watch it again. And it was right down the middle with a 5 out of 10. Mm-hmm. What did you give it out of 10? Uh, I gave it a six, so not too far from you. Um, yeah, I you know I think it's good. I do. I think it's good, but I also think that there's a number of things that could have made it great. Mm. You know, and yeah, it just it just didn't it wasn't. Yeah, it just didn't land. Yeah, didn't land in the way that. I thought it could have, that it had the potential to. So, yeah. Cool. What'd you watch this week, sir? Uh, a few things. Uh, I watched a 1991 cartoon called An American Tale, 5L Goes West. I uh, wanted to go down the nostalgia train. Remembered watching it as a kid, so I watched it with my oldest child. And I give it a four out of ten. It, you know, it really didn't hold up. There's a lot of Disney cartoon movies that I've watched, or even just cartoon movies in general, that I watch now as an adult and go, ooh, like that still slaps, that holds up. And this was not one of them. It was it was tolerable at best. It had a couple of funny moments. And of note, the cast, like it's got John Cleese who plays a role, and this was James Stewart's last uh acting credit oh really yeah and the, I, I didn't realize that and when i was watching this like there's literally a scene at the end where he plays this old kind of washed up sheriff and um like this and when the movie's literally ending there's like a sunset going down and this sheriff who who's voiced by him goes on this tangent on like oh well the sun's setting on one you know one person's role but that means that it's time for someone else to take over and when I found out this was his last acting role, I went, wow, th- like what a profound kind of monologue to have in this kind of child- children's cartoon that would have gone over most kids' heads. Maybe the parents would have appreciated that. But um, other than the James Stewart aside, a four out of ten, it, it was a very meh cartoon. Didn't hold up for the nostalgia. Um, I watched 2012's Jack Reacher, went down the tom cruise train again um i give it a five out of ten you know it's your cliche okay here's the johnny every man who's really good at 
being a super spy agent and you know he's good with guns and he's you know does everything right and he's and it's a tom cruise film it's a tom cruise film that you you know he totally had a hand in like all right we have to make this character like really good at everything and like you know all the men want to be him all the women want to be with him and about and- six inches taller <laughs> exactly i gave it a five out of ten it was corny but i might actually consider watching the second one just because it was it was just kind of a bit of a hoot okay the last movie i watched was from 1977 and it's an iconic movie i had never seen it before it's called saturday night fever it is starring obviously john travolta joseph Kelly. um Donna Pesco. I I will say it, it sucked. I gave it a three out of ten. It's rated R. It it really did not age well. And so I, I was trying to understand how I felt about this movie listening to, you know, different people review it. And it is so beloved. And I think by a lot of people who either grew up with it or grew up and saw it close to when it came out. It's got an incredibly choreographed dance scene that's about two minutes long. The dance scene is incredible. It's got an incredible soundtrack that's basically just a Bee Gees album. And from my understanding, they that wasn't even originally the plan. Like it was shot with the actors walking around to different music, and it was only in like post production when the Bee Gees were like officially signed on to do the soundtrack. Point is, it it was. It was not, it's a movie that hasn't aged well. There was like literally a rape scene in the back of a car that was just kind of like, this is happening and like no one seems upset about it. And it was, even if it wasn't glorified, like it was to make some characters seem kind of sleazy and weird. It was definitely not like a faux pas that like, is it should have been of that seriously of a messed up magnitude thing. So there was a lot of like stuff that hadn't aged well. The the whole plot and premise was very flat and one dimensional. The character arc was just non existent. Like just imagine someone who likes going to dance and dance clubs and likes working on his hair, and that's about it. That's all you got. So for all those reasons, for it not aging well, for it being hollow, it was it was a three out of ten. It, it I don't know how people cling to it as much of people claiming that it's an iconic classic it it didn't hold up there was a lot of plot and story arcs that were started early on that just disappeared and you go what what are we even doing here but i was for some reason i was curious enough and i watched it and that's what i did huh okay well all right then mhm What did you watch this week? <laughs> uh, oh, so many things. Um, where was I in the MCU when we talked last? Oh, gosh. We watched R- WandaVision, moved on to Falcon and Winter Soldier? Uh, maybe. Uh, or Loki? Loki, maybe? So, well, I did Loki, and then did oh, WandaVision, okay. and then did Falcon and Winter Soldier, Shang-Chi, The Eternals. Mm. Spider-Man Far From Home, Spider-Man No Way Home. Hmm. Um, probably forgetting uh, 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 Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Oh, yeah. Um, Doolittle. 
The Robert Downey Jr. one. Eh. It's pretty bad. <laughs> uh, Lyle Lyle Crocodile. It's worse. It's like huh. real bad. Uh, and now we're like halfway through se- season 10 of The Simpsons. Oh, wow. And I think that's maybe probably most of it. I mean, there's the other stuff. Obviously, I'm watching Ahsoka. We're reviewing that on the show. Um, but I think that's... And then I watched Secret Invasion. That was also for the podcast. So mm. I think those are the things. I think that's it. Nice. Oh. Uh, yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Very that's good. It. That's all. Yeah. Wrap it up, sir. Well, thank you for listening. We hope listening was not too much of a misery. But even if it was, come <laughs> back next time and we'll have a good time. Um, yeah, thank you for listening. Check out our socials below. Check out our Patreon page, merchandise page, help support the show. Thank you for supporting the show if you are part of our existing Patreon group. Uh, we appreciate you. We see you. And um, yeah, uh, join us next time for our next review, our next uh, news episode. Uh, stay tuned, and we will be here. And our next uh, next episode with Pete and I is going to be spooky. <laughs> October, man, October time for spooky season. Time for time for the listener to once again vote for the film that they think Pete will enjoy the least. Honestly, that's that's kind of where we're at. That's just how it's gonna, you know. <laughs> wait till Christmas comes, and I'm doing like Krampus and Black Christmas, and <laughs> I I had a thought. I was like, you know, if if we're gonna keep going back in time, I should just like I should just make sure that fifty percent of the vote options. This is actually hmm. be really interesting from like an analytics standpoint. Hmm. If you were like, ah, oh, you know, it's 1989, I'm going to choose this, like, whatever, like, you know, classic film, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm just going to go to 1989 and see what the most two popular horror films were. And so the 50% <laughs> of our vote options are always horror films. And it'd be very interesting to see what won out more often. <laughs> maybe we have, maybe we have a horror podcast. And we just have no idea. We never even knew. <laughs> the untapped potential. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>